Episode 112, sponsored by bckimonos.ca. Tonight we have Canadian pioneer and black belt world champion Emily Kwok. Let's do it. Hello, folks. How are you? Welcome to episode 112, co-hosted with uh, Christine Royal Fader. How are you doing, Christine? I'm good. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Awesome. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming back and doing it. Uh, I'm a, a little bit of a remote location tonight, so it's great to to have you on for especially for this uh, interview. This is one that uh, anybody that follows jujitsu should definitely be tuning into. Uh, why don't uh, I pass it over to you? First of all, let's give a shout out to our sponsors right away, BC Kimonos, uh, uh, and a company that's supporting the East Coast special events of ours for a long, long time. Brett Cooper, a big shout out to NBCKimonos.ca. Christine, the floor is yours. All right. Thank you so much. Hi, Emily from Nova Scotia to New Jersey. Hey, how are you doing? We're good. We're good. It's nighttime. Kids are in bed. Things are starting to quiet down. <laughs> nice. Nice. How about you? Pretty good. I just got off work. And so uh, I've been like waiting to talk to you all day um, ever since you said yes. Um, we have a special connection to East Coast with you. I feel like you've been up here many, many times over the years and so many people respect what you have to say. And I think uh, you won't be here this year because of uh, COVID, but why not bring you on and get your, your opinion on things on, on, the, on the web? That's, so. Yeah, this is a good, uh, this is a happy medium to do that. Yeah. I have to say, I'm very impressed. That might have been like the fanciest intro graphic <laughs> I've ever seen. So. Yeah, I know. I felt it's like Star Wars. Yes. So I'm very yeah. flattered, but yeah. thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sad about the state of the world and, and we're not traveling as much as we'd like to. But, um, you know, I guess this is why when we have the opportunity to get out there, we do, we make these connections. And I mean, you and I have known each other for a number of years now. And, um, and I'm, I'm really glad that we've maintained the, the friendship and the connection so that we can do something like this. Yeah, it's amazing. So I want to get into some questions because uh, I think people, they do want to hear what you have to say um, about jujitsu, obviously. Uh, and looking back over your career, you did a lot of awesome things. And they always say, uh, never forget why you started. But does it mean the same to you today, jujitsu, that it did when you first started? And even in like the middle of your career, has it changed over the years what jujitsu means to you? That's a really good question. Um, I can definitely say there have been times in my career where I lost sight of why I started doing this. Um, and what's strange is that I would say maybe the reasons why I started doing this were the reasons why I lost sight of it. Um, when I initially began about 20 years ago now, um, it was just, it was a fun activity and it was something different. And I uh, got out onto the competition scene not because I thought that it was really a scene. I competed really so that I could find other people like me. I was looking for other women that were training. And so um, I, I just went after any tournament I could enter. Mind you, in Vancouver in you know the early 2000s, there wasn't a crap ton going on. Um, so whatever handful of tournaments I could enter into, I did. And competition kind of became you could say a language or a space for me to connect with other females that were doing something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, but as competition took over my life, you could say that at some point in time, I 
I stopped having fun, you know, and I stopped thinking about all the great reasons why I practiced jujitsu and whether it was the ego or, you know, whether it was just trying to prove my self-worth to other people. Um, I got a little bit away from having fun and I definitely allowed myself to linger in um, unhealthy situations for the sake of competition and having a team to support me. Um, and it wasn't until I, I really shifted my, my sights on having children and doing other things with my life other than just jujitsu that I started getting more perspective and you could say sort of balance the scales a little bit more. So yeah, it's definitely changed over the years. These days, I feel like it's very much come back to where I started, um, but it's a little bit less urgent for me. I mean, I think having had three kids, uh, having other life experiences and injuries and having practiced for over 20 years uh, and having my black belt for 12 years, I've had my black belt longer than I was a colored belt. And that's definitely given me the space to sort of say, you know what? If I don't get to train every day, if I'm not training 20 hours a week, I'm not going to die. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, and I think, you know, at a different time in my career, I definitely would have been thumping my foot, you know, panicking a little bit that COVID or whatever was keeping me away from the mats. So I, I feel like I have a, a, a much better adjusted relationship to jujitsu now. And do you think that's also coming with age or do you think that's like the maturity of growing into a black belt? I think some of it has to do with age, I'm sure. Um, and this isn't to demean the position of anyone who is really enjoying their jujitsu journey and selfishly dedicating their life to jujitsu right now. And when I say the word selfish, I don't mean that as a negative thing. I just mean that it's all consuming, you know, like that's what you're focused on. Um, I think it definitely is a phase that you go through if, com if competitive jujitsu is something that inspires you. Um, in order to be the best, you have to invest yourself and, and you don't really have a lot of room for anything else. But I think like all good things, they sort of run a cycle or it comes to an end or sometimes you're pushed out of it. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You might be injured or financially, it might sort of become, um, uh, you know, a, a situation that you can't continue to, to push on with. And for that reason, when we allow ourselves to see life in a different way, um, perhaps do things that we wouldn't otherwise have done a few years ago, or, you know, a, a, a few weeks ago, um, I think it, it allows you to see things with, more context, you know, it's not a one dimensional thing anymore. So, um, yeah, part of it's age. And I think part of it is choice. You know, what do you, what, what do you want your life to be? What do you want your legacy to be? For some people, it's really important that they win multiple world titles and that they stay on top and stay relevant in that space. Um, but for other people, once they do that, they transition and they go, you know, what else is there that I can do? Mm -hmm. And I think for myself, I have always been someone who's enjoyed challenges in, in different ways. And not to say that jujitsu wasn't challenging anymore or isn't still very challenging, but I just, I think I was looking for a little bit of a, a different pace. Mm -hmm. And do you still feel that, I know you've competed in Master Worlds last year, you were going to, and then, then you got pregnant. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, do you still have that fire to compete? Like even after this year and maybe some more changes, do you still want to compete? So when I decided to compete after having my first two kids, so when I went back and I did masters in 2018, um, I'd never done masters before. And I would say that within that five, six year period, masters became like a really big tournament, you know, um, I, I've always kind of sat on the front end of the board, if you will, when it comes to jujitsu events, um, being established in North America and around the world. So, you know, when I've shown up at tournaments, it's often been me and like two other people or, you know, me and who else is here. Um, and taking the five, six years off and refocusing my life, on different things. When I came back and I decided to do masters, it was really because I was so inspired by some of my students and um, inspired because some of them love the sport so much and they were able to compete and practice at, um, you know, an, in, in a time and an age that I never would have seen myself doing it. Um, and then the other side of me was fired up because I also had a whole generation of students training with me who had never seen me compete. And um, for all intents and purposes, a lot of them like to make excuses about why they don't compete or why they do things the way that they do. And I kind of thought, you know what, maybe I should uh, shake the dust off my gi and get out there. And, you know, I like to have a good time when I go to Vegas. So I was like, maybe I should earn my, my fancy dinners and <laughs> massages. Um, and it was funny because it was like rekindling a, a really a deep fire. And I think what it taught me was that I am inherently a very competitive person by nature. Um, I want to be really good at whatever I invest myself in. And so, yeah, I mean, it certainly stirred the fire within me. Um, I enjoy winning just like anybody else does. And I got myself into a space where I thought, well, gee, maybe I should do a second round of this because I don't have to fight 19 year old you know, mm -hmm. kids anymore. Um, so I think that led me to keep training a little bit. And then I fought again in the spring at the New York open, uh, and I won. And then I sort of thought, you know what, let me, let me have another round at masters. And, uh, then oops, life, life happened inside of me. <laughs> and, um, I don't know, you know, I, I always ask myself, do I want to still compete? Can I, and there's a big side of me that says, I don't really, I don't really need to prove anything to myself or anyone else anymore. I don't think gaining another gold medal is really going to change what presence I have in, in the sport. Um, I think I've definitely created a space and, and sort of a role for myself and, and I enjoy what I do. Um, I, but I like competing for shits and giggles. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I think there's something about holding your feet to the fire and, being accountable and, and showing people that, you know, you, you put the work in where, where, when and where necessary. So sometimes, you know, I think it's good to do to just keep yourself sharp and to lead from the front. Um, but you know, I've, I've, I've invested myself in other things now as well. I've, I'm trying to learn how to surf, not, I'm not very good at it, but I I'm trying. Um, so that's very humbling to learn something new. Um, with the whole pandemic going on, I started gardening and I started cooking a lot. So I'm finding new frontiers that are really, um, invigorating for me and we'll see, you know, I know 
what it takes to perform at my best in jujitsu. And just like yourself, I think anyone who competes at a high level knows how much energy needs to be invested. And because I know how much energy needs to be invested, and I also understand the state of my life, having three small kids and, you know, multiple jobs, um, it's just, it's a strain and it's not, I, I don't know if it's a strain that I really want to have all the time. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Does it, do you ever, you know, sometimes myself, I'm getting close to 40. I've yet to reach black belt competitiveness uh, level. I'm still brown belt. I still have that fire to test myself against the 19 year olds. Um, does that ever, do you ever feel that? I know it is a different <laughs> level. But I sometimes feel like my age is not a, um, a negative for me. Like, I feel I some positive things from it, like being more calm and, you know, having being able to withstand. I don't know. I stay I stay more focused in a way than I would have been when I was younger. Yeah. I mean, I there's definitely um, look, you know, some of the people I, I look up to in my school, I have uh two black belts, um, Cynthia Fink and Jeff Humphrey, who are both at the edge of their fifties going on into their sixties. And they, they have grown children. They have successful careers. Uh, Cindy's now retired and, uh, and they're both smaller people. Like they're not very large people. And I'm always so impressed by the way that they carry themselves within the school. And, uh, and they both love to compete. And um, I remember before we gave Cindy her black belt, she had gone to train at Marcelo's in New York and Marcos Tinoco, who was a black belt there, uh, gave me a hard time one day when I came in and he's like, Emily, he's like, why do you not give this woman her black belt? <laughs> you know, because everyone was so impressed by, uh, by her vigor and, and, and what she could do at her age. And I said, listen, she's going to get her black belt, but she's also working on some things and, and we want to clean them up before she goes and competes again. Um, so when I think about age, uh, absolutely. Like it's, 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 it, it feels good to be able to keep up with the young guns. Um, I certainly have no shortage of that between teaching in my school and going and doing seminars, there's a lot of people that will often want to test themselves against you because you're the visiting black belt or you're the visiting whoever, and uh, they want to see how they're going to do with you. Um, and I and I think that's the that's one side of it that gets tiring is it's very flattering that people want to do that, but when every encounter that you have in jujitsu is about now testing yourself against everybody else. Um, that takes the fun out of it for me. And also it's a very quick way for me to get injured. You know, my body's not the same after having three kids. So um, I just, I don't, I don't want to have to train jujitsu so defensively all the time and be defensive. Um, so when it comes to, and, and also I have another theory <laughs> that it doesn't matter when you start jujitsu, but you have about 10 years before your shelf life expires. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I think it takes about 10 years of um, repetitive abuse patterns on your body before parts of your body say enough of this. So whether it's severe herniations or 
you know, uh, lower back aches or hip issues or knee issues, I think your body can only do so much before it just says, please, I can't do this anymore. And then you have to think about being nicer to this vessel that carries you because if, you know, you ruin something, um, if it breaks, it's not going to, it's not going to come back with the same integrity. So I agree. Yeah. And I'm, you, I'm and, close. Yeah. And I, and I do think, well, we're the same age, right? Yeah. And I do think that when you haven't lived that way yet, you're much more inclined to put yourself in the line of fire because there is a sense of invincibility or I can still take it um, until it happens to you once, twice, three times. And then you go, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, there's been periods in my life where, um, I'm immobile, you know, or, uh, it's very difficult for me to get up and fight and train. And I have to have massage therapists and, or, you know, osteopaths and all sorts of people around. So, um, I don't know if that's worth Mm -hmm. training that hard and testing myself with the young kids is always, um, the, the, the smart way to go. That's not to say that there's not some really young, talented fighters that I can train with and not have to go 100% with, and we can both have a good role. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, so I, be careful. I, 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 am, <laughs> I am. I, you know, I always, t- I told myself when I was in my early 40s, I'd probably hang up my, my hat, but, you know, COVID and everything, and I'm feeling good. So, you know, I, uh, I think I'll, I'll, be careful. <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I see you talk about coaching, it's like your face like lights up so much. What is your favorite part about being a coach as opposed to being a teacher, being a coach? Um, this is interesting. I actually, I just asked a friend this, you know, the difference between being a, a teacher and, and, and like a mentor or, you know, cause, cause they're very similar roles. Um, I'm actually in the process of trying to define it myself because especially with the times that we're in and not being able to teach physically uh, as much as you would like and um, visiting and and training with a lot of people, I've had some people reach out to me uh, and begin some remote guidance, you know, some people on a technical level, some people on more of a lifestyle level and I think what I enjoy the most about coaching and working with individuals is people who are seeking to bring out the best sides of themselves. You know, people who aren't afraid to put in the work and see what comes of it. People who aren't afraid of failing and learning from it. And um, when I see someone that is bold on that level and willing to just put themselves out there, it it inspires me um, because I think there's definitely been moments in my life. I'm sure there's been moments in your life and in everybody's life where we all came to a place where we didn't think we were capable of doing something. And I think one of the most gratifying feelings we can have as humans is to look at something that we once thought was impossible or um, a, a far, far off goal and to realize that we've either come to the finish line or we've achieved it or we've surpassed it. And built upon who we're meant to be and fulfilled our potential and seen what more we're capable of doing. Uh, And I think that human beings are incredible. And I think most people uh, sell themselves really short. And so as a coach, I really love being able to stoke the fire in people 
and get them to open up their eyes and, and really see what more they have to give to themselves and, and to the world. I think the more we invest in ourselves and the better we feel about ourselves, the more we are invested in each other. And I think that um, the, the world right now is seriously in need of, of uh, evolved and um, confident individuals who feel like they have positive things to share with the world. Yeah. Do you feel that your perspective, like you come from a place, um, you know, we all bring our own stuff uh, to coaching or teaching and being a woman, do you feel like you bring a different perspective than maybe a male coach might have? Um, have you noticed a difference in your coaching style? Yeah. Um, you know, gosh, you, you've got good questions today, Christine. <laughs> um, I do think that some of it might be that I'm a female um, and some of it might just be, I'm me, you know, like I, I have a unique set of experiences that I've been through. Um, and therefore I am a certain way. I think being a mother, um, I think being a minority, these have definitely impacted me greatly. I have often been in situations where I, I'm not wanted or I'm not, I don't fit in. And this might not even be a very obvious uh, thing, you know, like it might not be the whole team saying you're not wanted here or we feel uncomfortable, but I'm socially intelligent enough to, to feel that, you know, uh, I've also been in situations where uh, people have vocally said that to me. Um, so when you come from a place of being the other or the minority, and then you stick in uh, and you and you do the time long enough that you manage to climb up to towards the top. I think individuals who have been placed in that type of situation or situations then have more perspective to say, I want to make more space for people like me so that we have a, a more diverse representation and people don't have to feel as marginalized as I was, you know. Um, so I think that's really important. And I think that for other minorities, other females, there's probably that sense once they get to a position where they might be teaching or leading that they want to embrace other people like them and make them feel comfortable. Mm, a, um, go ahead. No, that's really important. I think, uh, yeah, that, that's been a big part of being at Halifax BJJ at our school is, you know, having experiences with other schools or other gyms, even visiting and whatever, and just seeing sort of the lack of, you know, friendliness even. That was one thing. We just wanted to be friendly to everyone. And well, I think that there's definitely a difference between, um, you know, people that are truly happy and, and enjoy what they do and feel good about what they do. Uh, I think that they tend to approach things with more of a sense of abundance or generosity there's tons of love and there's tons of technique and there's tons of everything to go around because we just love it so much. But when you're placed in a position where you might feel a bit threatened or insecure about your position for whatever reason, a lot of the times the insecurity comes from your own self-talk, right? It's not anybody else putting that seed in your head, but it's just unresolved things within yourself that cause you to react towards everyone else. And I think when you put yourself into that type of a scenario, you then start to act with a very scarce mindset. There's not enough students to go around. You shouldn't be training over there. 
don't talk to those people. Why are you training over at that person's house? You should only be training in my gym. Um, I see this dynamic happen a lot that the people who are truly deeply chasing the love of what they do uh, are always very, very open-minded and generous. And the people who feel like they have something to lose to everyone else and uh, aren't necessarily that happy with themselves are the ones that are always trying to cut down and sabotage um, opportunity. Mm. So, you know, that's something I really am careful to pay attention to because it's affected me negatively in my life. And it's not something that I want to advocate or, or say that, you know, should happen. Um, so there's that aspect of it. I also think, you know, being a mother, my job is, is now a, a huge part of my job is trying to raise little human beings and wanting to build up their confidence and their character so that they're able to take on a lot of the pressures of the world. And as a teacher, when I encounter um, both children and adults in my school, sometimes I see people that are really ill-equipped to take on the world. And it's a very stressful place. And so, you know, I think my feeling also as a coach is if there's something that I can do to help them strengthen and fortify their position, then that's something I gravitate towards because again, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are, um, that are really suffering, you know, and, and suffering doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be, um, something that you're suffering with, you know, internally, but nonetheless, if that gets out of hand, it can turn into a really big problem. We have a lot of people that deal with um, mental disorders and anxiety and depression. Um, and jujitsu happens to be something that makes them feel good. So if that's a language that speaks to you and there's a way that I can um, connect with you and, and make you feel better about what you do and, and give you the skills to be good at what you do, then I'm, I'm super into it. Yeah. Um, I, I have this uh, question because I know I've said this to you before. When I'm scrolling through my Instagram and, or Facebook and I see a photo of a gym and it's just a bunch of bro dudes. Like there's not a female in the photo. You know, it, it, sometimes I look at that and I'm like, you know, I, I get that people want to train with who they want to train with. Um, but I do think that women bring value and other people, smaller people, not just women, but, you know, other people different than you bring value to your team. Um, what do you think women do bring to a team that uh, could open the eyes of the bro dudes that just want to smash? Like, why should they want to have women <clears throat> or some people that are different than them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very difficult to convince the majority that they need something right? Like when you think you have everything you need, and for the most part, if we're going to generalize and say most men in a gym are very happy to train with each other and they don't want to have to compromise how they train because now a smaller, weaker person with boobs and hair and other complexities, or maybe you're attracted to this person. You know, I think sometimes the other, the female is seen as a complication, um, sort of like, oh, now we got to deal with this, or I hope she doesn't turn into a headache, or what's this, you know, what's this going to be? Because they don't understand it, right? Like people like to do the things that they understand best. And uh, not a lot of people are willing, uh, can tolerate or want to explore things that they don't know. And in terms of what a woman can bring to the table, 
Um, I think one of the most obvious things to me is just diversity and perspective, right? So you don't do things the same way that you just want to do them. You've, you've got to learn how to, um, how to widen your spectrum, if you will, so that you're not just playing on one end of it, right? So if we're talking about an intensity spectrum, learn how to dial yourself up and dial yourself down. Um, I think in addition to that, women and smaller people um, in a gym, the technique that they use has to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. If they can do anything, even if they can only do one move, one, one sweep or one escape, you know that that one sweep or that one escape really works. Because if they're able to execute it on 200 pound dudes or like big aggressive people that are very advanced, if they can do that one or two things to their opponents, it goes to show you that it really does work when you throw it in the fire. And so I think technically a lot of times females are not given enough credit for what they can do and how sophisticated their movement has to be sometimes. Maybe it's not fancy, but it works. And it works against a lot of different people who are much bigger and much stronger and much more aggressive than them. Um, So I think that there's that aspect of it that I wish more people gave us credit for, which is that, you know, women, especially as teachers do actually know something, maybe you've seen the move before, but you probably haven't seen it with the details that she could give. You know, um, I also think that we make really great training partners, especially at uh, a more advanced level. Um, training with an advanced level female is in many ways, I think the best kind of training partner you could have, you'll have a, a very technical role, uh, very smooth, very fast, but it's never going to be uh, a super smashy, not fun role, you know, because they can usually keep pace. They can, they're usually very sharp. Sometimes they're even faster and sharper than you. Um, but you don't have to deal with getting injured and you don't have to deal with, I would say the ego. If you're balanced in your own way. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes you see, um, I think, most of the time it's two dynamics occurring. You either get men who don't know how to train with a woman training too hard with a woman because they feel threatened or because they don't know how to train with the woman. They don't do anything because they don't know how to fight with you. Um, so again, it's like exercising that spectrum or those extremes. If you fall on one end or the other, I think sometimes training with that female helps you fill in that gray space in the middle and it will make you um, a much more competent fighter for people of different levels and, and different sizes. Um, I also think that we are different species. Uh, there are soft skills and hard, and hard skills. And I think that sometimes when you have positive female presence in your gym, there's, there's a, a, a better balance of energy. Uh, and I just mean that whether it's on the mats or off the mats, it, it's just not strictly bro energy. There's a little bit something else going on. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I love, I love the bros. Like I wouldn't be where I am today without some helpful bros. So I'm not, absolutely I'm not, uh, not putting down any bros. Um, and that being said, I'm one of my favorite, like, uh, 
times I was talking to you, you do seminars all over North America. And you were telling me you go to this specific gym that's that's a lot of big, 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 big guys. And they, they love having you come because of your technique and, and your perspective. But what advice can you give to gyms that don't have women, that want women? Like, I, I've met some gyms where they're just confused. They're literally like, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. Like... We've had a women's only program, you know, we, we even do it for free and they still don't seem to attract, attract women. So what would you say to them to work on? So I think that, uh, you know, it goes back to, if you build it, they will come. Um, there are simple physical things you can do such as maybe your advertising could include softer images or images of females. Um, I don't know that a woman who doesn't train jujitsu and doesn't know what it is would gravitate to watching, to seeing a bunch of, uh, excuse me. Excuse oh, me. bless you. Um, I don't know that they would gravitate to photos of men dripping with sweat, yeah. rolling around on the floor together. Yeah. It doesn't really look attractive. <laughs> so there's something about the imagery that can be changed um, in terms of when you go into a school giving females a safe space, a clean space to change their clothes. <laughs> this is a major issue. Um, I've been subjected to changing in broom closets, um, in, you know, toilets where it looks like people died and their bodies were left there for 20 years to rot out. I mean, like some crazy, crazy scenarios. And I think to myself, I don't know a woman who would want to, be here, you know, like it's, it's a very uncomfortable physical energy when you have to be, when you have to do something like that on top of doing something new that might scare you. Right. So there's physical things you can do within the school to just soften it up. Um, and I'm not saying you got to put flowers all over the place, mm -hmm. but, uh, maybe just, you know, don't have skulls and chains on the doors. And, uh, a big one I think is also with men, uh, just having the decency to keep your clothes on. Don't I've been to some gyms where men just strip down right after class and they're running around in their underwear or they just take their gi tops off and they're running around bare chested. Uh, that kind that level of testosterone, although I understand it and I'm totally fine with it because I've grown up around it and it's familiar to me. I think for a lot of women who once again are coming to this, very new might be a bit alarmed by that, or they might not know how to handle that level of um, manliness. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of that, what I would say in terms of structuring with, with programming is, you know, you could easily bring in a female. I mean, making space and advocating for females is huge. Uh, maybe invite a female instructor in to do a seminar or do a workshop and, Maybe you've got some female friends that would be willing to come and support you doing that. Uh, and also a huge one is just being transparent and being vulnerable and being honest with any woman that comes in. You can say, if they go, do you have any women that train here? And you just say, we don't, but I really would like more women. And I'd like to know how I can make you more comfortable. What do you need? Like, what, what do you feel you're not getting from me? One of the most, um, heartwarming and and uh great stories that i have was uh unfortunately this person's no longer with us but years ago i had a, a woman by the name of lori who's who's still around come to me and say i'd like to do a private lesson and her instructor 
then asked if he could tag along. And her instructor was a strapping young, you know, 20 something former wrestler dude, like dude, dude, like golden retriever, duty dude. And he could easily have gone into any gym and wiped the floor with any guy that came up on him. Um, but he, and, and Lori <clears throat> was a mother and I believe at the time she might've been in her late thirties or into her forties and Casey, her instructor, Casey Van, Van Berkhoven, I hope I said that properly, came with her and said, and I said, so what can I do for you? And he said, well, Lori's the first woman in my school and I don't want to lose her. So I thought that maybe I could come tag along and watch your lesson if that's okay so that I can see how you teach her and I can see what you guys do and maybe I can learn something so that when she comes back to my school I can teach her in a way that is good for her because I don't really know what I'm doing and clearly you do and so I'm just here to learn and I thought that was the most I mean I was I was just taken aback by his honesty and I just thought it was really beautiful that he was willing to admit that he didn't know what to do with this middle-aged woman who he wanted to keep. And Casey did everything that he could to cater what he knew and how he could teach um, to Lori so that she would stay, you know? Um, so I think that that sadly is missing from a lot of spaces. I think a lot of times we don't, male or female, we don't like to admit when we don't know something, especially when we're in a position of leadership, it's very hard for us to say, I'm not really sure what the answer is. But I think that is really the sign of a true leader, somebody who's willing to take on uh, different opinions, different perspectives and say, I don't know everything, but maybe if you're willing to um, stay with me, we can figure it out together. No, I, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. You don't often see people wanting to to change what they've always done a lot of places are just like oh we've always done it this way so we're just yeah. always going to do it this way um what we often talk about like how men can be good training partners for us but women like we're often not good training partners and we don't realize it um what do you think that we should do to be better training partners for the men that we train with you know what are some behaviors that you see that we do that we could improve upon so yeah wow christine <laughs> this is great i'm so inspired um i i only have you for a certain amount of time so <laughs> everything in <laughs> um so i this might this answer might upset some people um so i apologize if i if i do but it's this is what i think after 20 years <laughs> You know, men and women don't often speak the same language when it comes to doing things. And we, we, can, we can have a short fuse for what we don't understand. When it comes to training with each other, I think that the male energy can be extremely physical. And sometimes the female energy can be extremely emotional. <laughs> and so when we allow our emotions to get the better of us, whether it's um, you can't do something and so you then think to yourself, I suck, I'm never going to get better or this guy's just being crazy and he's not training right with me and he's got something against me. We can get ourselves into a lot of trouble because 
we get too emotional over a physical action that's just happening. And a lot of times when I've seen this type of tension occur, uh, the dude is like, oh, whoa, like, why is she crying? I don't know what I did wrong. And, and sometimes the woman is like, you're awful. Nobody should train with you. Uh, and, and it becomes a very heated exchange. And then it, it's sad because sometimes it makes the men in the room feel very awkward about training with women again. Cause they go, I don't want to, I don't want to train with another woman cause I'm a bad training partner and I might cause them to react negatively again. So I'll just stay away. And then some of the other men will say, I don't want that drama. So I'm going to stay away too. And then you start to see a lot of divisions, right? Um, versus sort of objectively just staying in the moment and saying, Hey, like you're going way too hard for me. Like maybe you could dial down your intensity a little bit and communicating. And I, and I think that this is something that uh, I've seen time and time, time again, where a lot of times women have a hard time communicating exactly what the problem is. Um, so I think men can be very responsive. If you say to them, you're training with too much aggression or you're not training hard enough with me. Like you could go a little bit harder and having that type of dialogue, I think is really helpful because it just allows both sides to balance each other out and know exactly where they stand versus the man thinking one thing, the woman feeling another thing and just fireworks happening. Um, I think that, you know, women are interesting creatures because sometimes women are not good training partners with each other either, you know, and, and sometimes I think this goes back to being overly emotional that uh, we, we'd be better off when we're training on the mats to just be training on the mats and leave our emotions and our feelings out of it and address things as, as they come up. Um, whenever I've seen women congregate and be able to sort of create an exception to the rule. So, you know, sometimes I've seen women's programs where the females have a class separate from the co-ed classes, separate from the guys. And when they congregate too much in that space and then they go and they train with the men, they say that they don't like it or the men don't like it because, oh, they talk too much. They giggle too much. They do this. They do that. They flirt. Um, they don't want to do the technique the right way. I think just because we're women doesn't mean that we get special treatment or we should be we should be able to um, do technique a different way than everybody else. Right. Like. For me, a class is a class. We should all just be respectful of what we need to do in that class to get our work done. But I do see that sometimes there is, uh, you know, women want to say, you need to create space for me. But then when that space is created, they sort of deviate from honoring and respecting what that space is. And they kind of start to create their own rules. And then it kind of sets things off balance in the room. So I think that... Um, if women truly want to be better training partners, we should 100% communicate more. And we should also um, look to treat each other and treat all of our training partners with the same level of respect. You know, we, we shouldn't think that in a woman's class, we get to behave differently than we do when we're training with everybody else. Um, and to also show up to train because you want to train. I see a lot of trouble sometimes when you have women that are more interested in picking up attention of any sort. And so uh, that not only creates problems for them, it might create problems for other females in the school. 
it might create problems for men and their significant others. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of funny energies that can start to play when we deviate from wanting to be there to learn jujitsu. And so I think as long as we sort of stay on that track and remind each other that this is why we're here. So how we dress, how we behave, um, how we train should always be in accordance with getting better at jujitsu. Then hopefully we don't have any problems. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And some, well, sometimes something that really bothers me too is, and I know this happens to my brother, he's a doctor. He'll go to a party and people will be like, you're a doctor. He's a doctor. You guys should be friends. And, and this kind of happens with women in jujitsu too. It's like, you're a woman. She's a woman. You guys should be the best of friends and you really don't have anything in common and you're kind of staring at each other like, uh, yeah. So what? I mean, I think that people look for likeness, Yeah. you know, and it's definitely, that's not a bad thing. And when we come into a new space or a new school, I've, um, I've definitely seen, you know, women looking on the mats to see if there's other women training. Um, I myself, I love training with other women. You know, I don't have to, sometimes I feel like I'm much better suited, um, and matched to train with other women and I don't have to overextend myself physically. Right. So I love that, but yeah, people are people, you know, humans are humans. I think the more, I think, you know, this goes into an entirely different discussion, but, um, we're really, we're, we're, we're living in a time right now where so much is about, uh, identity politics and I'm this and you're that. And because I'm this and you're that we should treat each other like this. And I'm, I'm just for team human. Like, how about you just respect me and I'll respect you and I'll treat you the way that I would like to be treated. Um, and hopefully you'll do the same. And, and from there we won't have any of these issues. I think we get into a lot of trouble when we start separating ourselves too much because it's it just, it, it gets complicated People can't possibly keep track of how differently we should treat one another versus just being honest uh, and open and sort of saying, hey, like this totally makes me uncomfortable. Can you can you do it a different way or can you tell me why you do it that way? Um, Because I don't understand it. You know, um, it's very easy for us to point and accuse and become very defensive when we don't understand something versus asking ourselves could the discomfort be because of something that I don't understand or I don't see, and it's not really everybody else. Um, So I think these are questions that we should definitely be asking ourselves because like attracts like, and um, I don't think, I don't think that we want to be in a situation where we're separating ourselves more. I, I I'm hoping that the more likeness we see in each other, the more we can, we can really come together and work together. Mm -hmm. Well, it's getting close to, to wrap up time. I promised Kat I wouldn't go, or Derek, I wouldn't go too long. Um, but uh, do you have any, any like final advice for us? Like, you know, uh, I think like this pandemic has shaken the jujitsu community a lot. You know, we, a lot of us were not allowed to train for months. Now we're kind of getting back into it. Maybe we're looking at another time where maybe we're not going to be able to train again. Um, do you have anything, thoughts on it? I mean, I'm sh- maybe you don't even have advice because you're going through it too and you don't know, but do you have any thoughts for us all for the future? How can yeah. We- well, change, change often comes when we least expect it. And a lot of the times change is difficult. Um, 
there are definitely going to be people who are going to, I, I think because this pandemic has gone on so long, um, I don't think anyone expected us to still be in this state seven months in, you know, my school, my business partner and I are, we decided to voluntarily shut down before the governor of New Jersey or anybody had asked us to shut down. Um, but I think we, we thought we were taking one for the team and we thought, okay, we'll just shut down for two or three weeks and then we'll be back open and we'll be fine. And it's now not fine. <laughs> it's not fine for anybody. Um, and I think for some of us who have been in this space for a while, you know, I've had my school for 10 years. We did not start the school to be in a place where we are struggling to make ends meet, having to jump through a lot of hoops to even operate on any level. Um, and in addition to that, uh, suffer 10 years in, <laughs> nobody, nobody signed up for that. And, um, I think on one level it's, it's hard for those of us who have chosen jujitsu to be some part of our professional careers to feel defeated or feel powerless in this sense. And what I've been asking myself is what, what do I want my reality to be? And what do I want for the future? And not to cling to what was. So what was already happened. And I don't know that it's a healthy thing for us to cling to something that already happened that might never be that way again. And this is in life. I mean, I, I this was this, th these thoughts come from a very deep conversation that I had with a very good friend and um, a mentor to me and someone I work for, uh, Josh Waitskin, where I had once lamented that I couldn't compete the same way that I had back at X competition. I just wanted to show the team I was as tough as I was when I fought at this competition five years ago. And he said, you know, that's kind of precisely what's wrong with your perspective is that you can't be something that you already were by, by clinging to the past. You're not honoring everything that you've become and where you can go from here. And if you don't embrace that, you know, that's, that's where you're going to have the problem. So if this was a problem that we thought was only going to be affecting us for one or two months. And we knew that it would just be sort of pressing pause and then lifting the button on the pause button and pressing play again. It's one thing to say, we'll just go back to the way things were, but I'm deeply like reconsidering what the future is for jujitsu. Jujitsu itself as an art, I don't think is going to go away. You know, it's evolved far, far too much for that. Too many people love it. There are definitely people training. I mean, whether you're in a place where schools are allowed to be open or if things have opened up enough that you're now training with a small pod of people in your garage or at your school or, you know, whatever the scenario is, people who love jujitsu, who've made it a practice are doing it and they will continue to do it. The question is, I think for those of us who have schools or our leaders, what do people need us for right now? And what can we actually do that's productive? That's not a liability. That's not going to create extra stress in our lives. And I would, I would really encourage those of us who are in a position of leadership to reevaluate what 
our school really is and what our school can mean in these times. It might be a year, two years, three years before things go back to a place where we're able to have 30 people on the mat, 100 people at a seminar, traveling all over to do camps. Or maybe it'll never happen again. Or maybe it's around the corner in three months. Who knows? But the future is very uncertain. And I think it's difficult to do, but trying to keep an open mind of all the different scenarios that could play out versus clinging to, I just need things to go back to the way that they were. Um, I would really encourage people to keep an open mind and be creative about what they think the future holds for them. Um, because we don't know. And the one thing that's for certain is that as leaders, we can never, it's not our decision and it's not our time and our, it's not within our capabilities to decide and tell people how to deal with their fear. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a different level of uh, complexity and risk that they take with the idea of training again. And And not even training, living, going to a restaurant, going grocery shopping. We can't dictate what that level of comfort is going to be. So because that's such an unknown, (coughs) I think it's very difficult for us to um, put our finger on what jujitsu is going to look like in the future. Mm -hmm. What I can say for myself is, you know, I was doing this a little bit before the pandemic hit anyways, but, you know, I've been trying to think more broadly about what teaching and, you know, mentorship and leadership looks like to me. And I've picked up more people remotely. So I'm, you know, technically mentoring and doing some coaching um, and sort of mental performance work with people that I can do virtually. And uh, this is something that really excites me. Uh, The other thing that's really nice about it is it draws out the people that are most motivated to to work with me. And uh, thank God, I'm I'm old enough in jujitsu years where I have the qualifications to do what I want to do whether it has to do with ranking or, um, you know, coaching uh, on the mental side of things. Um, I'm really thankful for that. But I think as a community, we need to keep an open mind uh, about what's going on. And to that, I, I extend that even to just practitioners, right? Like, how do we, how do we embrace this and not fight it? And how do we move forward so that um, this industry can still exist? Everybody's hurting in the industry. I don't, I don't know a single friend, uh, or business owner that is not suffering on some level. And um, I think there's still going to be a, a lot of schools closing, but I think the transition now is, you know, people might be choosing to close because this work is not worth it, right? Like not to say they're abandoning students, but you didn't work this hard to be basically dragging yourself on the pavement, trying to make your school survive. Maybe it's better for us to shut down for six months or a year and reopen again when things are a little bit better. It's a really difficult time. So keep an open mind. uh, And if you have the ability to help someone, please do. And uh, sometimes help is just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. Please let me know if there's something I can do to help ease your stress mentally. Um, Maybe we can brainstorm some things together. I think it's just really important that we know that there are people that still care and um, people that are really rooting for the world to, re- to, you know, have a resurgence. Yeah. And I mean, uh, my Joel, who's another coach and I, we did a webinar with um, to Marcelo Brownbelts. And, uh, you know, I think that 
that pivoting, like pivoting and figuring out a way to still do what you want to do, like that using the technology and just being creative, like people will still will still get to maybe connect. And yeah. I, I think your advice is really good. And, and it's you, not going to be the same, right? Like, yeah, I think that's the other thing is now that the now that most people most areas seem to have had a little bit of control over the virus now. I mean, at least so that certain things, certain businesses are starting to open back up a little bit and people are allowed to socialize a little bit more in small clusters. So maybe you create your own training pod and now you can do technique online when somebody does an online seminar, right? Like, um, but I, I think that as practitioners, we have to be open-minded about what, training's going to look like right now, you know, and, yes. and, be, and be, at least give it a try, at least, at least step out and give it a try. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very guilty because in Nova Scotia right now, we don't have like any cases. That's so, great. Yeah. So we are, our, our communities feel safe, although we're very cautious. We have to wear masks everywhere. And uh, we do have, most schools are only allowed 10 people per training unit right now so there is a bit of training but that can change in a heartbeat so yeah thank but thank you so much thank I know you i i uh i feel bad because i know i asked a lot of a lot of questions and oh they were uh, great i loved your questions i love it when i get to do interviews or podcasts with um with people who have really well thought out questions and i think maybe part of the benefit of being interviewed by you is that we do have a relationship and you do know me. So we skipped all the stuff that goes on at the beginning of a lot of interviews, which is repetitive. Like, what have you done in your career? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you know. and we got right into some really good meaty stuff. And I, I really appreciate that. It's, it's exciting for me to talk about that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And I, I just think so many people in the Maritimes, you have such a connection to us, look up to you and, and we're excited when they saw your name come up. Uh, we want to hear what Emily Kwok has to say. You're such an ambassador um, and you're a great mind and you're always thinking and, you know, definitely left me thinking <laughs> after this. Is Derek there? Derek, are you going to come on and say goodbye? Hey. <laughs> How are you? Hello. Fantastic job. I watched the entire interview uh, quite uh, content. It's like funny that Emily, exactly what you said, because I do a lot of these interviews and I try to avoid that, but I'm not good at it. And Christine's really good at that, like diving right into it, like very good. Go questions. right there. <laughs> oh, it's, it makes a huge difference. And that was a really great interview that really was so knowledgeable. And I learned a lot, a lot. And Christine does a really great job. And thank you so much, Emily, for joining us. I, hopefully you can join us again. Yeah, anytime. I would love to. You guys have been great. And um, I think I just want to toot Christine's horn a second and just say um, <laughs> when you're able to, when you've done the research or you know your, uh, your guests well enough that you can ask questions like that, it's much more of, I, I, I would think like an equal level conversation. And it's, it's like having a, a deep talk with a peer and it's less of being interviewed by a fan girl or a fan boy who just wants to know exciting facts about me. So this was really, it was a really fulfilling discussion and I, I super, yeah. super, super appreciate you having me on. You just made me seem really cool to all of my, <laughs> my, uh, my, Team Pod B, Pod B, if you're listening, Pod B, shout out. We have different pod training pods, so 
they all probably think I'm really cool now. <laughs> I love it. Well, they should. They should. And Derek, one day I hope to meet you too. So thank you. Well, yeah, thank you for everything you've done for jujitsu. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely, fingers crossed next time I get up to, to Nova Scotia, I'll be there. I was already traveling last time. So <laughs> again, thank you so much for joining us, Christine. Thank you. Fantastic job. Um, I don't know when you'll be back on, but again, but hopefully soon. <laughs> as soon as you like, I think uh, this is a fantastic platform that you guys are doing an amazing job. And I think the, the sky's the limit with it, really. So yeah. awesome, right. awesome work. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Bye.